in three, two, one. Looking to sharpen your marketing message and cut through all the noise to win more clients? Are you winning the race for relevance? Your value proposition must be relevant to your prospects or they won't give you the time of day. It's not your prospect's job to figure out your value to them. It's your job to develop and communicate your value in a way that will resonate with your ideal clients. To help us understand what we need to do to maintain our relevance is author, speaker, and coach, Bill Cates. Well, hi, Bill. Welcome to the program. We're delighted to have you. Great to be here. Thank you. Now, Bill, where our subject today is we're going to be discussing your latest book, Radical Relevance, and I absolutely love this book. It covers so much territory and staying relevant as we get older, as you and I are both baby boomers. It's always about how do we stay relevant, even at our age, because of the multi-generations. But how do we stay relevant, whether we're a millennial, whether we're a Gen X, just in general and in business, when we open up new opportunities, we meet with clients, whether we're entrepreneurs, whether they're business people. So what was the need for relevance in your mind? What was the impetus for starting this book? Sure. A couple of things. First of all, in terms of relevance, I mean, relevance has always been important from the first time someone tried to influence someone else. You have to make the argument, the case relevant to them or they'll ignore you. So one of my little phrases, if you're not relevant, you'll be ignored. But specifically forever, and you know this, I've been helping folks grow a referral business, a business based on personal introductions. And so what I know is the personal introduction is kind of the fastest, shortest way to be relevant with someone right. who doesn't know you. So it gets the foot in the door. Now, sometimes that borrowed trust that comes with the introduction is enough. They'll say, hey, if my friend Michael worked with you, that's enough for me, right? Right. But not usually. Usually we got to start to earn our own trust. So then that's how we talk about our value. And how we talk about our value isn't just creating a quick little pithy elevator pitch. I mean, we need short versions, but if it's not backed up with a full plate, if you will, a value proposition, then you're still not going to get to where you want to go. So it's a pretty comprehensive look at how we think about our value proposition and then how we eventually distill it down to communicate it to certain people in certain ways. Sure. Well, and why we must be radically relevant, a lot of people probably don't consider it. As humans, as you say, we're always seeking to be relevant with our families, our jobs, our communities, and even for ourselves. So you say in your book that radical relevance begins with a total shift in mindset. Let's start there. Let's unpack that. Why is mindset so important and what kind of mindset do we need? Yeah. Well, mindset in general, we know is important because that's what shapes how we view the world, how we think, feel about whatever it is, whatever the context is, you know, will either limit us or move us forward. And in this case, it's the mindset of, and the radical part, if you will, gets to the part of getting to know your ideal client or customer so well and really caring about it and giving them a seat at the table where everything you say, do, how you look, they see themselves in the message. That's the radical part. It starts with the word empathy, really. You need to be able to see themselves, at least to some degree, in how you talk and visually portray your value. And so it's radical in the sense of really getting really super specific and fully understanding those folks. Otherwise, it's generic. And 
you still can be in business. You still may capture some folks, but you're going to miss a lot. The biggest mistake that so many people make is that they say, well, let's cast a little wider net. I don't want to leave these people out and I don't want to leave this out. The problem is the wider, the bigger the net, the weaker it becomes. And you may catch no fish if the net's too big in right. a sense. So you're better off having several small nets than one big net. So you're saying work your verticals or your niches or niches and have those, and you can have as many of those as you want, but really understand the segmentation of that niche. So a good example of that, there's a great quote, Dan Sullivan, smaller the niche, bigger the market. You know, who makes more money, the dentist or the orthodontist? So we know the orthodontist, but who does the marketing for the orthodontist? It's the dentist, which is your referabilities. It's actually a medical referral. So when we have our niches, it's okay to have more than one. I have a consulting group, because I know you do a lot of work in the financial services area, just for start, but that's just one of your verticals. And when I work in there, I use the language of that vertical. So I make sure I'm using their right. buzzwords, their acronyms, their language. So it feels very, very personal. And a good example would be that as authors and speakers like ourselves, if somebody phones us up and they want to sell us something and they just generic message, hey, Bill, hey, Michael, I've got this product and it's wonderful. We're probably not even going to listen to it. They probably won't get through the gatekeepers. But if they phoned up and said, hey, we work with yeah. professional speakers and authors and podcast hosts, now they're getting our attention. And so that's what you're saying. We need to show the relevance in our messaging. Right. The relevance will capture the attention for a little bit. Right. And then we have to stay relevant as we continue to communicate and then become compelling. And what I mean by that is create movement, create action, whatever that may be. It may be click on this link. It may be call us. It could be a lot of different actions, but we have to have that compelling call to action. And I liken it to kind of like an electric motor. It's like this thing is revving all the time. Right. It's got to be relevant. You got to be compelling. It has to go together at all times. And if you skip a beat in this day and age, when people are bombarded by so much information, you'll lose them. But it's cutting through that noise, isn't it? So whether we're using whatever medium, whether it's telephone, emails, has the pandemic changed things in your mind? You've been working with clients for you know number of decades now. And how has the pandemic changed things from your perspective? Well, the pandemic hasn't changed the principles at hand. So the principles of how we define our market, how we communicate, all of that, that hasn't changed. What the pandemic did, at least for a while and continues to, it changes the medium because for at right. least a while we didn't have the in-person. And part of the way when you're building a marketing plan or a marketing campaign, you got to have the right message for the right person delivered at the right time through the right medium. And so the pandemic changed that a little bit for folks and the folks who struggled using Zoom or similar technology were definitely behind the eight ball for a little while. Most of the world is caught up. Our world is caught up. So that's good. When you're not in person with someone, when your Zoom is a little better than phone, but if right. you're phone, you just, you don't get the body language, the same thing. When humans get together, there's something, whether you think it's woo woo or not, but there's something different there. The energy is different. And so you connect better. So that went away. But the principles, I think, actually made the relevance part actually even more important because we missed some of the other ways to use our charm and our authenticity. We got to make it up in the words and make sure we're using the right words for the right people at the right time. So, but the principles haven't changed at all. Probably never will. Right. Well, you say, and you say it so well in the book, that radical relevance is about solving the right problems with the right product or service for the right people with the right message through the right medium at just the right time. So it's not just yeah. a theory, is it? Radical relevance is really a blueprint for taking effective action that can lead to the growth of your business. 
And you did that very well, by the way. You have it right here in this piece of paper. So. <laughs> me too. Me too. Nice so, job. <laughs> but it's it's beautifully well said. Now, to do that, to get the right message, we also have the right kind of client. And you call it a right fit client. Describe for our listeners, what's a right fit client? Yeah, my, my marketing person says it's your your business soulmate. It's, it's, it's <laughs> the way she likens it, she says, and I put this in the book because she, awesome. she described it to me, I liked it. And she says, when the movie where the two people see each other and time stops and the movie goes into slow motion and it was just meant to be. So that's kind of the way she likens it. Well, a few things about this. First of all, whether you say ideal client, right fit client, kind of the same thing. Sure. And the way I like to think about it is they appreciate your value for the reasons you want to be appreciated. So let me give you a, a couple of examples, if you don't mind. Yeah, that, please do. And sometimes we get this, by the way, from talking with our clients or customers. Right. It's They will tell us things that we might not have thought of. So a couple, one a little self-serving and the other one of my clients. So for me, I was interviewing one of my clients and I said to him, Michael, his name is Michael, Michael Schmitz out in San Mateo, California. And I said, tell me about how you talk about what I do to others. What does it look like kind of doing my thing? And he says, Bill, you make asking for referrals as natural as breathing. And I go, whoa, that's pretty good. I never would have thought of saying that. It's a good message. And I quote you and he says, yeah. So now, by the way, just from a marketing standpoint, I could say that I make asking for referrals as natural as breathing. And it's a little bit of marketing hype. But if instead of doing that, instead of hyping, I'm quoting, I'm quoting one of my clients. And so we're using a little bit of social proof in there and it kind of softens the hypiness of it all. And so I was coaching a couple of financial advisors, partners in a firm, and we were working on their value prop, how to figure and communicate it. And so I asked them to talk to a few of their clients and they did. And one client says, I call you guys my dream makers. And they said, well, tell us more about that. Well, not only did you do a financial plan and help us figure out what I wanted, what my dreams were, you made sure that I was funding my dreams. You stayed in touch with me on that. You nudged me, you introduced me to some folks and they go, yeah, that's how they wanted to be appreciated. So that's at least one critical element of an ideal client, right fit client. You know, you do the kind of work you want to do with them. Right. They're also profitable. That helps a little bit too. <laughs> They're a joy to work with. They're fun to work with. Joy you, to work with. Yeah. yeah. Joy isn't a word we use a lot in no. this world and yeah. business, but why not? Right. No, yeah. we have clients that I've been working with for decades and we love them. I was golfing with team yesterday and been clients for 20 years and something comes up, they run it by us. We're a team member and those are ideal clients. And then you have clients that aren't ideal and you can fire them. And we all have to do that every once in a while as well. So oh, yeah. you talk about the marketing message overload and getting through that. And then challenge number two is inertia. Talk about inertia. And what do you mean by inertia? Yeah. Anyone trying to market, sell, move people to do business. So think of it this way. Sir Isaac Newton's first law of motion, a body in motion tends to stay at motion, a body at rest tends to stay at rest unless acted upon by an outside force. Right. So some of our prospective clients or customers are doing nothing. They're dead on a log, right? They're just doing nothing. So that's the inertia of nothing. You have others that are moving in a certain direction, like a rocket could be moving in a certain direction, but until it's acted upon by an outside force, then it's going to keep going in the same direction. So if we can't break that inertia, mm. then they're just going to stay where they are. And so if we talk about our value and the problems we solve and we're relevant to them so they at least pay attention, then we stand the chance of waking them up from doing nothing or doing the same thing 
they're listening and we give them an awareness of another way. And then once we've given that awareness of another way to do things, they tend to want to keep talking with us. Yeah. They may not do business with us, but at least we've got their attention. We've earned their time. Yeah. Well said. I call that agitate, don't irritate. And yeah, it's very similar. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a matter of just bringing it to their forefront and they want people to help make their business better. This episode is sponsored in part by Rainmaker Digital Solutions, featuring ActiveCampaign. Looking to drive growth with customer experience automation? ActiveCampaign, the number one marketing automation platform for e-commerce, B2C and B2B companies, gives you the email marketing, marketing automation, and CRM tools you need to create incredible customer experiences. ActiveCampaign is the platform we use to reach, nurture, convert, and grow our business, and you can use it to grow yours. You can see why 150,000 plus businesses like yours choose ActiveCampaign to help them grow and become preferred in the markets they serve. You can also start your free trial by visiting our website and clicking on the ActiveCampaign trial link. As a bonus, we'll also give you a digital copy of my book, Becoming Preferred, How to Outsell the Competition. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am a shareholder in the company. And now back to my conversation with Bill Cates. One of the things that was interesting, I think it was chapter three in your book, which I always love this subject, and I know you do too, is about the neuroscience of relevance. We study behaviors as professional speakers and writers, so it's important to understand that. But to understand the role that neuroscience plays in staying relevant, talk to that for a few minutes. Yeah, I've got two very specific examples, actually. And up until about 20, maybe 25 years ago, all neuroscientists, doctors, scientists thought that the brain was static. We had all the cells we were going to ever have. Right. And essentially people say, what'd you do over the weekend? Well, I killed 10,000 cells, right? <laughs> so, but now with this concept and reality of neuroplasticity, we know that the brain not only grows, we also know that the neuro synapses, the channels, if you will, the wiring, it really is a wiring of sorts in the brain can be overwritten, can't be erased, can only be overwritten, which is a very important distinction. That's how we and people slip into bad habits. That's how we get going with something with momentum. But if we haven't really locked it in, the other wiring is still there and it hasn't gone away. So it's a fascinating topic. So the two areas, one is the brain, everybody's brain, and I'm thinking about our prospects, the people we want sure. to do business with, right. scanning the environment six times a second, unconsciously, pretty fast. Where am I? Am I safe? Right? That's a preservation of the organism. Where am I? Am I safe? Three times a second, it's going, is there an opportunity? Is there food? Is there water? Is there a mate? Is there something good? So the brain is built to take advantage of opportunity, but only when it feels safe. You know, look at the articles you're attracted to, the blog posts, the podcasts, where they say, are you making these five mistakes, right? Right. We're attracted to that. A headline like, avoid these five mistakes versus do these five things, the mistake one will probably outpull the other one two or three to one because the brain is looking, am I missing out? Am I safe? So that's important to know. Now, I think both are present, however, at all times, and you never know exactly what's going to capture someone. So what I do, I always think of it this way. The flip side of the problem, the flip side of the concern, the flip side of the fear is the aspiration. Right. What they would do once that's eliminated. So I cover both usually when I talk about the work that I do. Fix this, then you can do this. Eliminate this, then you're able to do this. And so we're kind of covering the fear and the aspiration at the same time. So that's one way of understanding the brain. The other is a term, I just wrote a blog on this, and the term is cognitive fluency. 
And what that means is clarity, the clarity of the message and the clarity of the process of doing business with us. If it's not clear, guess what? The brain has to work harder. Brain doesn't want to do that. The brain actually wants to spend fewer calories, not more calories. So it starts to shut down. That's why Donald Miller says, confuse, you lose. It is actually based in brain science, neuroscience. And one of the things in my coaching that I do around this clarity is the clarity of process of working with you. What I mean by that is, all right, Michael, what are the steps that I need to go through? What is it going to look like in our process of number one, determining there's a fit? And number two, we determine that, then how do you deliver on the things? What is that three-step, five-step, seven-step process? Illustrate it graphically, because that goes in the brain faster when it's visual too. And most people don't do that. And so that's one of the reasons why prospects don't move forward with them, because you're violating the principles of cognitive fluency. You haven't been clear on what that path to purchase and path to service looks like. So therefore, they drop they're, out. They're confused. No, like you said. A little confused, doesn't yeah. seem relevant anymore, not worth the trouble. Yeah, they're yada, tuning yada. out. Well, it's interesting, and you talk about with the neuroscience, and in your book, you go into the amygdala and prefrontal cortex and how that all works. What's interesting is, I think the amygdala sees things first, I do. I think what happens, we have a database, like the examples I use are, you know, what's two plus two? And you, well, it's four. All right, then I ask the next audience, remember, what's 27 times 14? They don't know. I said, well, why don't you know? You knew one, but you didn't know the other one. One's kind of lodged in your internal database, you're hardwired. And, or I might say you're driving down the freeway and you're going to pass a car. Do I go around them this way? Do I go around that way? That's prefrontal cortex. You're thinking, you're processing. If all of a sudden you look at your phone, you're distracted and the guy hit you hits the brakes and slams those on, you got to look up, you got a windshield full of taillights. What do you do? You slam on the brakes and it's automatic. And so we have these automatic triggers and what we're trying to do, and it looks like you're addressing that throughout the book is really, how do I identify that trigger? Because that's going to get you the first look. And what we want to do is stop them thinking because that's where they're burning calories. And instead of having thinking, we want an automatic response, kind of like Pavlov and his dogs. We just want to ring the bell and we want to have them, hey, comply. I mean, best we can and uh, authentically and genuine as, as we can as well. So, and, and yes, I can I, let me just add something real quick. Though, yeah, sure. There's some folks going out there thinking, yeah, but what, I mean, what about the statistics? It's not just a feeling thing. What about the, that's all important too. Right. Right. Antonio Damasio, mm-hmm. uh, famed neuroscience in his experiments with subjects that had the part of the brain that could feel emotion was damaged. So they couldn't feel emotion. They could not make decisions. They couldn't decide if they're going to have oat flakes or wheat flakes for breakfast. <laughs> they worked by habit. They worked by checklist. So he has proven what we suspected forever is that decisions are made and based in emotion. But that does not negate the facts, the statistics that you also bring to the table. The purpose of those things is actually to elicit an emotion. When you say 70% of Americans or Canadians are totally ill-prepared for retirement, right? right? That's a logical statement. Right. What's the reaction? Oh, yeah. That's yeah. good insight right there. We always say people make their decisions with emotion first, back it up with logic second. If they don't like you, it's not going to happen. Do the homework with their head, but they pull the trigger with their heart. Yeah. The thinking can actually trigger the heart. It's really about trust, isn't it? So this is where oh, yeah. trust comes into the loop. If they don't trust you, it's not going to happen. Of course. Absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. Well, you say if you want your prospects and your clients to follow your suggestions and recommendations, you got to strike an emotional response in them. No emotion, no action. 
And there's a lot of ways to do that. There's no one way to do that. Logic statistics can help with that. Telling stories can help with that. There's a lot of things that can go in and make that work. And there isn't any one way. So don't let anybody tell you there's only one way to reach folks. It usually needs to be a bit of a mix to get them fully engaged in the message. And I'll tell you one thing that will build trust is your willingness to walk away from a deal if it's not a good match. And it takes a lot of courage uh, it, it, to do that. It has to be genuine though. It can't be just manipulative pulling back. And so they'll come forward kind of trickery. But when you say, look, I don't know if I'm really the right person to help you. Let's explore a little deeper. I just did this recently, by the way, and I really meant it. A guy wanted me to coach him on some of the things we're talking about here. I just didn't think I was the right person to start with. And we get a little deeper. I introduced him to someone else. That someone else ended up, he's working with him now first. Now I may get him a little bit later, but this guy loves me. And he loves the other guy because we really did truly want to make sure he got the right process to solve his issue. So that that's one of the biggest ways to build trust is just to be authentic and not be greedy. That's a good tip. And really, the goal is to provide clarity, isn't it? Like if we can make things simple for people, they clear, they understand, give them a good picture, that's going to go a long way. And you start with that by creating messages that are familiar. That's what you talk yes. about in your book. You talk about yes. creating familiar messaging because there's a pattern and don't invent something new. Start there and then use it as a transition point to move on to some other things. Yeah. Generally speaking, you want to use words and concepts that are already in the brain. So the old example that the old codgers like me will understand is when 7-Up was introduced to the market, it was a lemon-lime soda. There was nothing out there like that. And their sales were not doing very well until they started calling it the uncola. Cola was in the brain. If the concept isn't in the brain, then you can confuse them. You'll lose them. They don't know what's going on. Now, it doesn't mean you can't use some cleverness. It doesn't mean you can't make up some words and have some fun with this. You just got to make sure that you define it quickly that they get it quickly, whatever it is, they got to get it quickly. We don't want the creativity and the cleverness to get in the way of the clarity, but it doesn't mean we can't use it a little bit to have some fun and to get someone's attention. A friend of mine, his name is Amira. He talks about this way. It's the, the billboard on the side of the road. You're driving by and there's a message that's kind of cute, kind of clever. And you go, like 20 seconds later, you go, oh, I get what he was, oh, I get it. Well, you just passed the exit to this door. <laughs> right, right. So that's kind of the idea. They got to yeah. get it right away. However you accomplish that, they got to get it right away. And it's got to be relevant. If it's not relevant to them, you're wasting your time anyway. Do you recommend directness at all? Like one of the things we've been experimenting with is we used to try and get clever with some of our marketing campaigns. And a lot of our clients try to get clever with catchy slogans or just to get them to peek, get them to look, get them to open an email. And lately in our last number of campaigns, we've tried a direct approach where we're going exactly what we want, but with specific personalization. So my email title might, uh, requesting a 20 minute executive briefing. In other words, we're going to go right to the call to action that we're normally looking for and try and we don't want to trick them into booking an appointment or a demo or whatever it's going to be. We just right. go right after the request. Do you have any experience around that at all? Or just being direct with your customers or your prospects? Yeah. So there's a, a couple of things here. First of all, any good marketer is going to tell you, I don't really know. <laughs> yeah, right. Test it. Right. Because it depends on the audience to the message. Right. It depends on how you implement it. 
Right. Right. Implementing directness versus implementing some creative cleverness. I like a little bit of wordplay that does create a little attention. I think you could go over the top though. I think you got to be careful about too much. If you're kind of a playful person and you want people to get that sense of you, I don't see a problem with that. But the bottom line, Michael, is that you got to test it. You don't know until you test it. Right. You know, what's going to pull better, the red headline on this website page or the blue headline? I don't know. Test it. Well, the blue pulled better. Why is that? I don't know. It just did. Right. And that's your control. And people overanalyze and try to figure. Now, we try to do our best guess. We try to start with our best guess of what we think will work. But then we never really know until we give it a shot. And people say, oh, I tried that. It didn't work. No. The way you tried it didn't work. It doesn't mean the strategy is flawed necessarily. doesn't mean the principle is flawed necessarily. It may be just your implementation of it. Right. It really does depend. Yeah, no, it does Um, depend. Value props in elevator pitches, I do err on the side of directness though. Again, we don't have a lot of time there. So we don't want the cleverness to get in the way. Yeah. Bottom line is if I go into a meeting and I've gone in and we've requested 15, 20 minutes, client says, I got five. I said, fine, I can do it in two. And (laughs) I take it right away from them. And I just have a one to two minute little soundbite and start walking out the door. And And it works. To do that, you've got to know what you're talking about though, don't you? Yeah. I mean, you can't go in there winging it and go from what you thought was 15 minutes to five to two. No. And so that's why we do this work and we come prepared and we know our value prop and we know how people react and what they react to. Can't wing this stuff. No. Uh, As speakers, we know we can take a two minute sound bite and turn it into 15 minutes anyway. So not necessarily good stuff, but we work on that. You say that we relied a little too much sometimes on technology, on email, on our websites, on social media in order to make solid connections with people. And that's really what we're trying to do. How can we insert human connection into our marketing strategies and plans? It depends a little bit on what the product service process is. Because sometimes, I mean, obviously, if you can get in front of people in the same room, Mm -hmm. then that's almost best for most everything. However, that doesn't always fit every model. It doesn't always fit, period. So then the question becomes, if that isn't an option, what's the next best? Well, certainly Zoom, where there's a visual or platforms like Zoom, can help. And then also you can put a human connection through the words you use. What I mean by that is that's where a little playfulness, a little bit of self-defacing humor can actually go a long way to create a humanness in that. And also where you can answer a question with an email or with a go to our FAQ page and go to number three. Or maybe you just make a quick phone call and just fix it, right? There's a lot of instant video platforms out there these days, right? Where you can send a quick little video message. So that can work. So it's just the way I think about it under the heading of relationship marketing is how can we add some warmth to this? What is the path of least resistance? How do we show up more human? Look at a company like Zappos and Bombas, right? They've added a human connection because they donate shoes, socks, whatever, when you buy one. And not everyone's attracted by that. They don't care. No. They just want the right people to be attracted by that. And so there's lots of ways to weave that into whatever you're doing. That's 
kind of the point I wanted to sure. make. Sure. Well, the whole goal is to add value the way the client or the prospect defines that value. It's one of your rules. Value is in the eyes of the beholder. So it's our job to determine, develop, and communicate that value in a way that will resonate with the prospects who are perfect for our business. And that's radical relevance, right? Yeah. See, what most people do, we think we know the value. We create this product. We know the problems. Yeah, we can do our best guess at it. And we may stay in business that way. Yeah. But if you want to get better and grow and scale, then that next step yeah. is figure out what they think is valuable. And, and also, Michael, how they resonate with your values. We know the difference of features and benefits. Feature something we offer. Benefit is how they benefit from it. But there's a next step to that, and that's the benefit of the benefit or the impact of the benefit. And that's an element of radical relevance because I'm saying to you, here's how you will benefit. And then I'm saying, how does that resonate with you? What would that look like in your world, in your business, if we actually did go down that path? And now you're determining, is that benefit relevant to you? And if it is, and it probably is, what would that look like? And now you're starting to own the benefit. And that's a piece of the relevance as well. No, that makes sense. And this ties in so nicely with building our verticals as well. Because I find, for instance, yeah. if I go after a, an opening, say a new vertical and I'm meeting with a client, I'll ask them a bunch of questions, find out what the key issues are. And chances are those are the same issues their competition is also having. So I'll even ask, who are your top three competitors? They tell me. And now I'm going to school with this particular prospect as long as I'll let me because I'm yeah. going to find out all the issues, all the key points. If it was a printing company, they're probably all suffering from the same issues. And then when I'm reaching out right. to the next prospect or the next prospect within the vertical, I actually just use those particular issues or stressors within that vertical to deliver the value. And just, I might come up, Hey, Bill, it's Michael Vickers. We specialize in the printing industry. The reason I'm calling you is we've identified two or three trends that are going to be impacting the printing industry in the next 12 to 24 months. Love to share with you, give you an executive briefing and share those with you. It's relevant to you and specific to you. And you give so many little value bombs throughout your book there that just cover it. So it's really finding that value proposition and then customizing it to the vertical. It requires really good listening and it requires really good asking questions and being curious and going to the next step in their answer and the next step and all that forms your awareness, your empathy for the situation. Whenever I've identified, let's say hypothetically, three problems that the printing industry is facing right now, I'll say I've identified three. And just by me saying that, and they know those problems or face the industry, I'm showing empathy. They're seeing themselves a little bit and how I'm delivering the message. But then I'll also stop and say, are you facing the same? Or which one of those are you facing, if any? I don't want to assume. Right. Is this a priority assume, for you? Yeah. yeah. Right. Exactly. Because they say, no, no, no. Actually, we got that down pretty well. What's a fourth one to the list? <laughs> right, right. And they'll say, well, here's our issue. Yeah, we right figured now. that out. No, you're late to the party. Exactly. You got to be careful of assuming. That's all. Yeah. I think in chapter three and four, you talk about the value proposition and creating mm -hmm. your own strategic relevance, if you will. And what makes you different? Unique selling proposition. How do we position ourselves? What makes us different? And you say something fairly profound in your book. You say your prospects <laughs> don't care about what makes you different unless they see exactly how that difference benefits them. So right. superficial differences might attract attention, but if there's nothing usable or applicable immediately, then it goes by the wayside. Yeah. On the difference, only differences that matter, matter. Right. So if you say one of the things that makes us a little different than some of the other folks out there is we do this, 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 how does that land on you? I'm always asking people, what do you think about that? What do you feel about that? How does that land on you? How does, does that resonate with you? If so, in what way? Tell me more. I love the words, tell me more, because 
We can make certain assumptions. The questions we ask and the things we say demonstrate awareness and knowledge of the prospect to a degree. But again, if we're not getting them to repeat them back or reflect on what they mean to them, then we're not really truly getting to know their situation. And they want us to know their situation and how, yeah, I have the same problems as printer across the street, but I also have uniqueness around those problems. So again, that's the part of radical relevance is just going deeper with it. Right. So, anyway. D- diving down deeper. Well, and it's, it's looking to identify those differentiation points so that you can actually turn them into benefits, right? Because too often we yes. make mistakes around that. Like I think big mistake number one is platitudes. Uh, yeah. And if our competitors are saying it or just about anyone in the business says it's a platitude, it's not a differentiator. What other mistakes do people get into when they start to look for ways to differentiate themselves? So platitudes, well, I want to hit, hit that real quick though, because I was delivering a speech to a group of financial advisors, wealth managers. And I said, how many of you talk about the fact that you really care about your clients and give the best possible service as a differentiator? And about 70% of the hands went up. Okay. That's like 70% of all drivers think they're above average. Well, so, and it doesn't mean you don't talk about that. I'm not saying don't talk about the fact you care at live great service and everything. You should, but it may not be a differentiator. Right. Right. And at the end of the day, some people don't even care what makes you different. They just want to know if you're right for them. That Ultimately, that's what they want to know. Right. So the platitudes is one. I have a formula that I teach in the book that allows us, and I didn't invent the formula. I got it from a woman named Karen Kopp. I got to give her credit where credit's due in a book she wrote called Biz Dev Done Right. And so here's the formula. It allows us to talk about what makes us a little different than others without bashing the others. Because you really don't want to do that. No. But it creates a separation. Right. And here's the formula. Anyone can, but only we can. Or most people can. So for instance, any financial advisor can sell you stocks, insurance. Right. But only we can do this. But very few. And it's rare that you can actually say only. The only time you can really say only is if you're using perhaps a proprietary trademarked or patented process, or I'm not saying you can't say only we. You don't necessarily say only we, very few. Right. I was working with a financial advisor in California and he had some special certification for helping folks with creating retirement income. Okay. So he says, any advisor can help you accumulate, but very few will talk to you about the decumulation. Now there's a word. I just used the word that most people don't know what that means. So he had to define it very quickly. What I mean by that is generating income from the assets they help you create. Well, I'm one of 20 certified retirement income specialist in the state of California, right? So maybe you're not the only one, but you're one of the yeah, few. Well, we're one of the few. I've always done it a different way, but I really love this. So we'll have to check that out. Somebody might ask me, well, what about this competitor? Or what about that competitor or client competitor? I say, from what I understand, they're an excellent company. From what they do, they do good work. People who do business with them like them because most companies are pretty good to stay business today. We don't have a problem with the company. We have a problem with their delivery model. And mm-hmm. here's how we're different. So it's a variation of that, but that's how we would approach until I've just heard what you just said. And so we'll do a little homework on that, but we have a problem with their delivery model, not the company itself. The company's fine. Their delivery model, and here's why. We've talked about getting their attention. There's a time where we tell our story. How important is the story and what elements should we be having in our story to make them compelling in today's world? 
So I have a friendly competitor. And when I say friendly, he really is a friend of mine. He says, your prospects and clients, they're not interested in your story. They're only interested in their story. And I disagree with that. Right. I think, yeah, they're probably more interested in their story than yours. Right. And that's by how we talk about what we do and ask questions. We demonstrate a little bit of knowingness, and then we want to probe and truly get to know their story. But us having our story, and when I talk about story, I mean why we believe in the value. What is our emotional connection? What is our mission? Why do we believe in the value that we deliver? What is the reason for the fact that we believe in that value? Is it something that happened before I got in this business? Is it something that happened to someone else I observed in my life? It's what my clients are telling me. And, and like that aha light bulb went off and I realized, wow, I really am doing good work and important work for people. So it's that aha experience that hopefully we all have in doing what we do. And then I call it a client-focused why. The client-focused part of it is what it means to them. There's that part again, right? So you can say, hey, this is why I do this. I drive great pleasure from solving problems. I was the person who always took the toaster apart and put it back together. I like to figure out how things work. Oh, that's kind of cool. It gives us a little insight into who you are, and that's nice. People want insight into who you are a little bit, but what's the benefit to them? Well, the benefit is, so when we work together, I'm going to examine this in a way that no one else really has the ability, training, experience to examine, to make sure you get the exact right solution for you. Right. Right. And so you got to bring it. That's the client focused part of the story. And it can be very powerful. Not always easy to come up. Some people have it right on the tip of their tongue. Some people, we got to work with them a little bit to get it, but it will actually help you win more clients when you tell it the right way at the right time. And also you become more referable. Right. And in your thing, becoming preferred, right? They'll say, look, you got to talk to Michael. He's got a great story, by the way. Right. People get that. Yeah, they do. Know? Well, we love stories. And since we're babies and kids, even grandkids now, hey, go get your pajamas on and Papa, I'll tell you a story. I get compliance. Well, in wrapping up here, because we've only got a couple of minutes left here. Boy, time flies fast when we're talking to you. I can talk all day to you. We could take a chapter of each book and make a day episode out of it. And for those who are listening, if you don't have any of Bill's books, they're just absolutely amazing. We'll have all that on your show notes, Bill. But tying it mm -hmm. all up, it's basically is you call it radical rule of relevance number 15. Your prospects, clients aren't mind readers. So never assume a prospect or client can read your mind and take action you desire. If you want them to do something, ask them to do it and use a call to action. So are there some that work better than others? Is there the right time? How do we pay attention to when do we insert that call to action and be direct around it? Yeah, and that is usually a place to be direct, by the way. If there's something you want them to do, or, you know, yeah, usually an action, right? Could be click here or right, do this. Right. Don't assume they can figure it out. You right. got to either tell them right. or politely, of course, or ask them. <laughs> um, right, yeah. Three easy steps. So, step one, step two, step three. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's also part of that cognitive fluency. They, they got to know what the next step is. They want to yeah. see what the next step is. And well, it's at the bottom of the page. If they just look, they'd say, no, no. First of all, nobody's going to read everything that's on the page. Most people skim anyway. And if you have a call to action button, you should have it three or four times on a page. Right. That's right. Right. So pretty much everything you do, every email you send, every website page, and I say every, there's probably some exceptions, but most of them should have some logical next step that will be in their best interest. And only right? one of if them. They, Don't confuse. You confuse, you lose, as you say. So generally speaking, you only want one, especially on a sales page for sure. Yeah. Homepage, a little different. Sometimes it's hard to avoid 
just having more than one, but yeah, you're right. You want to err on the side of fewer than more. That's for sure. Awesome. Hey, well, this has been absolutely great, Bill. Thanks. If you're looking for some good reads, you can start with Don't Keep Me a Secret by Bill Cates, Beyond Referrals. Get more referrals now, which was my first book that I read from you. And then I went back and read everything else. And then your latest project, Radical Relevance. Awesome books, Bill. They're always full of good tactical, practical things you can apply tomorrow. You and I have met at trade shows over the years, and I've seen you at different speaking events, and I've seen the audience reaction to it. So I'm a fan and really appreciate you spending some time with us. And you want to put money in your pocket. These are the books and the tools to do it. Also, there's a toolkit that you offer in your latest book, Radical Relevance, where they can sign up for a toolkit and you've got all kinds of tools that are in there that they can get off the website. And all that information is nicely contained inside the book. So lots of additional resources, not just the books themselves. Are you working on anything else coming up? What's the next project for you? Yeah, actually, I just spent a week in Canada, Waterloo. Oh, sorry to hear a little cold this time of year. Well, it was the snow hit the day I arrived and, and it was pretty cold. <laughs> I was visiting my nephew who I didn't see at all during COVID. He's got a couple of young kids. And so I combined it while they're at school and work. I wrote and they came home. I'm with family. It was a lot of fun. And so the book is called The Language of Referrals. And over the years, people seem to like the way I language things, the way I wordsmith, how to ask, how to promote, how to- You do a great job. All, Excellent all that. job. Thank you. And so it's kind of a compilation of all that. I'll probably have an audio version. People seem to like the way I say it. The inflection, of course, it matters a lot as well. So that's my current project. Well, I look forward to that one too. Well, Bill, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. And again, you can get hold of Bill and all of the information will be on the show notes. And the best website is billcates.com or referralcoach.com. And you can find his books or you can order direct or you can go on Amazon or where you find books. Thanks so much for being here today. Uh, thank you. This podcast is created and associated with Summit Media. My production team is Beth Smith and Kendra Vickers. The fee for the show is that you share it with friends when you find something useful or interesting.